The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you for joining us today. As we just continue to plug through the Gospel of Luke, we actually are going to piggyback off last week. Last week, we started just a kind of a two-week mini-series within the Gospel of Luke called Life Lessons. This is just Life Lessons Part 2. If you're not with us, just to bring you up to speed, Jesus had been invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee to have a, a luncheon, almost a banquet, but they have an ulterior motive for inviting him. They're scrutinizing Jesus. They're wanting to see him do something wrong in hopes of being able to accuse him or at best even get rid of him from their region of Perea. They're, they're done with Jesus. They want him gone. And it's during this banquet that Jesus just kind of looks around and begins a conversation. The first thing he did was he looked out and saw a man suffering from edema, and he says, is it right or wrong for me to heal this man? And they, they don't answer. They, they don't have a real good answer to that question. So Jesus heals him to show the first life lesson. And, and then Jesus goes, oh, I, I noticed also uh, that you were fighting over where you were going to get to sit around the table. And so he highlights the second life lesson from last week, the, the first being spiritual pride. That's believing that God owes you something because of who you are or what you've done for him, your moral status, among others. That's spiritual pride. He, he showed them that through the healing of the man. And then the social pride, he goes, you're fighting over seats, but you shouldn't do that because social pride says that people owe you something because of who you are or what you own or who you know or just all around how great you are. So We saw last week that spiritual pride and social pride are both heart conditions that Jesus desires to address in all of our lives, and the solution to those heart conditions is to humble oneself. The last verse we read last week was Luke chapter 14, verse 11. It says this, for all those, for all those who exalt themselves, they will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the prescription to cure those first two heart conditions. And and I want you to make sure that you're picturing this correctly. This banquet is still going on. And Jesus is still having a one-sided conversation, but he's not done. Now he's going to address a third heart condition and give a third life lesson. But now he addresses specifically the host, this prominent Pharisee. He wants to continue the conversation with him, and he's going to say, Make sure, make sure that your investment, okay, this party you're throwing, make sure your investment brings the best reward. That's that third life lesson that he wants everyone to know and that we are supposed to understand before we end this section today. So let's just jump in. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite Only, I'm adding that word in there, okay, because it's very important. Do not invite only your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. Notice the word rich there. If you do, they may invite you back. And if they invite you back, you will be repaid. And Jesus is trying to show this prominent Pharisee that by only inviting people you like, only inviting people of high social status into your home, every time you have a luncheon or a dinner, you're pursuing the wrong reward. It looks like what Jesus is saying is don't invite 
your family and friends to parties that you have. It's not at all what he's saying. He's talking about a heart condition and the fact that he says just your rich neighbors is very important. By having a party to try to keep your social status high, to keep good standing within the community, you have received then at the end of that the reward of your investment. And the investment is specifically your time and money. It takes time and money to throw a party. Anyone who's ever had a bunch of people into their home knows this. You start preparing days in advance, you spend a truckload of money, and a couple hours afterwards you're left with a mess and you're going, why, why did we do this? The investment of time and money by throwing a party makes sure, makes sure in our lives and through our hearts and our desire, what we're investing our time and money in is going to produce the best reward. And he'll tell us then what that best reward is. Luke chapter 14, 13 and 14. But instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, okay? blessed by God. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of righteousness. You'll be repaid when you meet God in heaven by choosing to invest your time and your money in the least of these, in people who cannot do anything to exalt your social status. You will be bringing upon yourself a blessing, a blessing from God, which is huge, and you'll also receive an eternal Reward Now, not your salvation, but when you see Jesus because you've accepted his invitation, when you see him, he'll go, wow, 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 I saw what you did. You chose to forego the enjoyment of recognition from your peers so that instead you might be recognized by God. You made that decision in your life to not chase after the things of this world. You made that decision in your life to invest in the best reward. This is a very, very important heart lesson. The investment of time and money into the least of these will be met with a double reward. An immediate blessing that's spiritual from God and emotional. Anyone who's ever done something kind, generous, sacrificial, you know that oftentimes you get more from that act. You, you feel more enjoyment and joy and passion than those that you help. And the second is that eternal reward that reward at the resurrection is a really great reward, for God rewards very well those who care for the least of these. This is the best reward. This is what Jesus is trying to get this prominent Pharisee to understand. You brought me here to scrutinize me, but you made sure all the right people were at this party. What if you had used your time and your money to bring in people who couldn't have done anything for you? Well, then your heavenly Father would have seen that and been honored and would have honored you. As we hear that first life lesson, we then have to assess our own hearts. The way that you spend your time and money will tell everything, will tell you everything you need to know about which reward you're truly seeking. Do you invest your time and your money into the things that reward now? And, and there's many of those. And for a lot of us, it's, it's tough to separate because we're going, I invest my time in making money and so it, how, do, how do I weigh those two things out? But really, you do have to assess your own heart. How do you spend your time and money? What reward are you truly seeking? 
Are you, are you seeking the things that are of God, eternal things? Are you seeking to invest your time and the money into the people who truly need them most? I know that's not easy for us to do because you're going, well, my family needs me. True. It's biblical. That's good. It's absolutely right. You're saying, but my, I mean, I have to go to work. I, my, my work needs me. Am, am, I just supposed to, am I just supposed to quit and sell everything and go give it all the way to the poor? I, I don't think so. No, I don't. I think it's a hard issue. What reward are you working towards? What reward are you investing in? You know the answer to this. You know the answer to this. Because you know your heart. God knows it a little better than you, because we can be deceived, but you know your heart, and you know what you're striving for. And Jesus says, oh, this third life lesson, this, this one's important. Make sure you're investing in the best reward. Make sure of it. While Jesus and the host are having this conversation, someone's eavesdropping. And he heard Jesus mention banquets. And he goes, oh, banquets, yes. But my friend, my friend, the banquet we want to make sure we're all at is the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And you can almost hear this guy. He's like, I want to interject something. So I'll go uber spiritual with my religious friends around me here. You can talk about these luncheons, but the most important one is the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes, ha, 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 I now have my next life lesson. It'll be the fourth one of this conversation. And Jesus wants to now tell us a story, a parable about this great banquet, the one this man just interjected into. Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, here's a story I want to tell you. There's a certain man who was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests to it. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything's ready now. Now the first part of this parable is actually very easy to interpret especially if you're one of the Pharisees sitting in that room listening to this story. Jesus is talking about the banquet that God the Father has prepared to celebrate his son. And the invitation to this banquet went out thousands of years ago to one group of people, the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Over the course of history, they've had many different names. They've been called the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, but it is God's chosen people. And he said thousands of years ago to Abraham, your offspring, your children, this, my beloved people, they are invited to this banquet. That invitation was sent out then. But the preparation for the banquet had to come. And the time is now. Jesus is referring to his appearance on the earth. The, the, the meal has been set. Now I send out my servants, the disciples, to go gather those who have been invited and tell them, hey, it's time to come. It's time to come on home to the banquet. And Jesus is saying, hmm, this group of people who have been invited and now have been told it's time to come, they have a choice to make. 
Will they choose to accept the invitation that's been given to them? Will they choose to go with the servants when they're told it's time? Will they do that or will they refuse? That's what this parable is teaching thus far. And the response, the response is very telling. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. Okay, that's a very tough word to understand, but the all there means they unanimously are with one accord. So it's not that every single person who was invited said no, okay? Not every single person did, but the group as a whole chose to unanimously say, mm, no, I don't, I don't think we as a group want to accept this invitation. And they made excuses. The first said, I just bought a field. I must go see it. Can you please excuse me? The word excuse there can be translated shun, reject, or refuse. And I think that's a better translation. So instead of saying, can you please excuse me, which is polite, I think what's happening here is this group of people who've been invited and now told it's time to come, they're saying, uh, can't, just bought a field, just bought a field, got to make sure that I go check on it before I show up to the party. So I'm, I'm going to just have to reject. I'm going to have to refuse the invitation. Now, this is a weak excuse because very few people buy property sight unseen. But Jesus isn't done telling the story. In verse 19, he said, another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. I, I got to go check out on, I got to go check out my ox. I got to go plow a field. You know, I, I would love to, but I can't. I'm going to have to decline. Very similar to the first excuse. The third excuse that Jesus gives, this one actually holds a little bit of water. Still another said, I just got married. So, so I, I can't come. That sounds real, but if you just kind of peel back one layer, if you're saying, I can't make it because I'm on my honeymoon, that's fine, but, but you're not on your honeymoon right now. And the servant's there to take you at this moment. So the refusal, because of the excuse, it doesn't really carry a lot of weight. Verses 21 and 22. The servants came back and they reported to his master. Hey, we went out. We, we told them all to come. But they refused. The owner of the house became angry. And if you're tracking with this parable and you're going, wait, God can't become angry. Well, the Bible's very clear. Anger is not a sin. It's just what you do with that anger. And historically, looking back, when, when God's chosen people, the Jews ch chose to reject the invitation to come to the banquet of his son, I, I'm sure God became quite angry. I, I did all this for you. This is the culmination of my promise. But how you respond in that is, is where you can potentially sin. Of course, God doesn't sin. The owner of the house became angry, and instead of sinning, he ordered his servants to go out quickly into the streets and into the alleys, to the town, and to to bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Verse 22 is interesting. It says, sir, uh, what you've ordered has already been done, but, but there's still plenty of room. We, we went out. We went out and we got, we got the, those people. And, and we, we see again this list, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. We see that and don't take it literally. Here's what this means. In Jewish culture in the first century, because of really messed up human rules, some of these people would not have been allowed full access to temple worship, meaning they would not have been allowed in. And so the parable is very clear. Those who some of your rules say are not welcome, God says, come on. And they're already there. 
They're already seated, but the servant says, hey, there's, there's a lot more room still. What, what do you want us to do? Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them. There's urgency there. There's passion there. I need you to go grab them by the hand and say, you really want to be here. Now you can't force someone to come to this banquet, but you can really, really urgently compel them and tell them how important this banquet is to them. I want you to compel them to come in so that my house will be full. What a beautiful statement about the heart of God. I want my house to be full. I'm not trying to keep anyone out. But those who are invited, those who are compelled to come, they need to respond with a yes. That's what they need to do. And it's interesting there, if you notice between verses 21 and 23, there's four different phrases for roads or streets or alleys or country lanes. It's all paths and ways to go, but it's not talking about directions to the feast. It's talking about how many people you're going to find there. In verse 21, streets and alleys, that represents places where you'd easily find people. But in verse 23, where you see country lanes and roads, roads are just dirt paths, but you can still kind of get a cart down it. Country lanes are literally just trails cut between the trees. There's not going to be a bunch of people there, but I need you to go to the places where you might not expect to find anyone just in case someone's there and invite them to this banquet. And the other truth of verse 23 that every Pharisee in that room would have understood is that what God the Father is doing here is he's saying, I want you to go find the outsiders now. I want you to go find the Gentiles. The ones who the people in that room listening to this story thought never had a chance in the world of making it to this feast. But I want you to go find them and I want you to compel them to come because they are invited also. Paul talks about this at the very end of Acts. Acts 28, 28. He's saying this to a room full of Jewish people. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And they'll listen. You didn't. Paul's saying, my entire ministry was to go tell those Gentiles who you thought would never make it in. My whole ministry was to go tell them about the invitation they've been given to come to this banquet. And you know what? Across the board, they listened a whole lot better than you did. Going back into Luke 14, verse 24, Jesus finishes the parable. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Those who refused the invitation will not sneak in later. Only those who respond with a yes will get a seat at the table. The urgency of this parable is not to be lost. The master desires his servants to go out quickly and let people know the time has come. It is now. And and the urgency is there because days are numbered. Whether that means Jesus' return and the end of it all, or you personally, your days, and a failure to respond to the invitation because one thinks that they have more time. That is a dangerous, dangerous gamble. The final life lesson, the fourth one of this section, the last two weeks, is this. Don't let a hardened heart and a lame excuse stop you from responding to the invitation of God. Don't let your hardened heart towards God and a bunch of lame excuses, Jesus gave us three, stop you from responding to the invitation of God. 
In my 20 years of ministry, I've, I've heard a lot of excuses. And, and most of them don't hold water. I've heard people say, it'll, it'll all work out in the end. I don't need to make some confession of faith. I don't, I don't need to. It's, God's just gonna, if, if the God's up there, it's all going to work out in the end. I've heard people say, I've just got some more living to do. You know, like, I have a few more promotions to attain. And, and then, yeah, me and God, will we'll, we'll figure it out. The invitation will still be there. Uh, we say, you know, I've, I've got a spouse to find. I, I've, I've just, uh, you know, I'm in this relationship. I'm trying to figure it all out. I really, like, God, I don't have time for that invitation right now. So it, it'll work out. And then, you know, like, I've got kids and stuff. I'm here or there. I've got life. Life's just getting in the way. But, you know, I, I'm sure at some point we'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. I've heard people say, I've just got a bad taste in my mouth about God. You, you claim that he's this loving God that's for me, but I, I see a God who just wants to put a bunch of rules on my, on my life. and He's got a bad taste about it. I, I, just, I, I don't know if I want to go to his feast. I've got a hurt that needs mending. And, and a lot of times that hurt had nothing to do with God, but, but people don't want anything to do with God because they feel like God allowed that hurt in their life. Or there's just an obstacle that stands in the way. There's financial obstacles. There's social relational obstacles that just stand in the way from you being able to actually accept the invitation. But those all, honestly are just all excuses that are a result of the final heart condition. That final heart condition is a hardened heart. A hardened heart that wants nothing to do with God for, for whatever reason. For the Pharisees, their hearts were hardened because Jesus didn't meet their expectations of a Messiah. Jesus is saying, hey, you were invited a long time ago. You, you in particular should be coming to this feast, but, but you can't accept me as the Son of God, so, so you're not going to be there unless something changes in your heart. And you as a group have decided that I'm not the one. In fact, you're working against me. You're working to kick me out of your region. And, and that's, that's problematic, but I, I'm going to meet my goal. I'm going I'm to attain my purpose. So really, what it comes down to is you just need to decide whether or not you're in or out. And it's going to be really hard for you to be in because your hearts are so hardened. And we hear that and we're like, well, that's just silly. I mean, they've got Jesus right there in front of them. But for many, it's probably similar. You think God hasn't met your needs, so you can't accept him. You can't accept him until some conditions on the ground change. And that thought, that process is a simple result of a hardened heart. Wrapping up this entire section, whether it's social pride, spiritual pride, whether it's investing in the wrong reward or a hardened heart, the solution, the solution, the prescription to fixing all of this is the same. It's humbling yourself before God. It's accepting that this life is not all about you. It's knowing that everything you have is from God and using your time and your money to invest in the best reward. It's accepting that God has done so much for you and knowing that to demand anything more from him or to demand everything to be perfect for you to accept him and his son, that's just pride. That's just pride. 
So I ask you, similar to last week, but with two new heart conditions and life lessons to process through, will you humble yourself before him? Will you invest in the best reward? Will you look today at how and where you spend your money and your time? And will you be willing to humbly adjust that and seek the best reward? Would you, would you consider just taking time today, if you need to pause right now and do that, just to look at your life, how you spend your time and your money, and wonder if I attain everything I'm striving for and lose God, is that worth it? Is, is that reward better than what he offers in heaven? Will you humble yourself before him and accept the invitation to be at this kingdom feast, the one in honor of his son, the son who gave his life for you, for your sins and mine? I'm asking, I'm asking church, will you literally say yes to this invitation? Will you out loud right now as if I'm the servant coming to tell you, hey, it's ready, it's here, do you wanna come? Will you literally say yes? Yes, I give Jesus my life, my heart, and I humbly express my need for him. And I acknowledge Jesus that you are Lord of my life. Whether you've made that proclamation and confession of faith many times before, or this was the first time, I believe that if you meant that with all of your heart, you've just said yes to the invitation. You've responded in the way that God desires you to respond to his love and the grace that was shown through his son, Jesus Christ. Anytime we're talking about the heart, whatever condition our heart may be in, anytime we're talking about the heart, I want you to know we're talking about the thing that God cares about the most. He cares about you so much that he's not willing to allow your heart to stay a mess. He wants to do the work in and through your heart so that you can be in relationship with him. And so today I pray, I pray that after hearing these last two weeks, our heart condition would be one of humility knowing that that is what it takes to be positioned before God in a way that he will do in your life immeasurably more than you could ever imagine, guess, or request. That's what he promises. That's what we pray. And that's how we close out this section of Jesus' teaching on the heart. And so, Father, I ask that you would move in such a way now that our hearts would be humbled before you, that your grace would be sufficient for our needs, that our religious pride, our social pride, that, Lord, our, our need, our need for others to, to like us, that you, you will address that. Father, I pray that we will make the investments in our lives that will bring the best reward. And I pray most importantly, I pray most importantly that you would give us the grace today to accept your invitation into relationship with you and your son, Jesus. We pray that in his name. Amen.